Good morning. Would you please turn in your Bible to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And don't be alarmed, I don't intend to preach through the whole of the Psalms, because I'll be dead before I finish that. But just for the next two, probably three weeks, we're going to just consider the Psalm of Psalms. And Psalm 23 is known as the Pearl of Psalms. So this psalm is called, or known as, the Psalm of Psalms. It sets the stage for all of the psalms which follow. Psalm 1, let's read the whole psalm together, though we really only get into the first two verses this morning. Psalm chapter 1. This is the word of God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams, by water, that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the living God. We live in a wonderful country. And I say that as a recent immigrant, only 21 years or so have we been in this country. And life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a well-known phrase from the United States Declaration of Independence. And this phrase gives us three examples of the unalienable rights which the Declaration says have been given to all by their Creator, and which governments are created to protect for us. And this wonderful declaration, which it is, means so much more in the gospel for the believer. Life and liberty is guaranteed in the gospel for the believer because it is secured for us by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that is suffering his death and his resurrection. And it extends not only in this life to material things, and our brief, and I say again, our brief stay on earth. But for the believer, life, liberty, life. So based on Christ's words, we stand irrevocably on this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. That is life. That is eternal life. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And likewise, liberty is a wonderful gift that many nations on earth resolve to give to its citizens, but it's not guaranteed by men, and no man can guarantee our liberty. And many nations do not have the liberty that we, for example, in the United States enjoy. But again, for the believer, he is declared, because of Christ's work on the cross, a truly free man for all eternity. 
free from the vilest captivity of Satan, which is a state in which we all enter this earth, dead in our trespasses and sins, and under bondage to Satan as a result. And Paul in Galatians reminds the believer in chapter 1 and verse 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And in Romans, Paul reiterates this, specifying the freedom from sin and death, which is the just reward for sin. And the believer has true liberty, liberty like we cannot enjoy as a citizen of the United States, but only as a citizen of heaven. Romans 8.3, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's a true declaration, isn't it not? For the believer, death's sting is removed. This is true everlasting freedom given by Christ to all who come to him in repentance and in faith and believe on him. And if you have not done that, you can do this and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is what we preach in this church. And then, of course, the third unalienable right that our Constitution affords us as citizens is the pursuit of happiness. That's a wonderful movie, too, by the way, that pursuit of happiness. It's a great, heartwarming, feel-good movie. And this really is the greatest pursuit of man, is it not? Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a citizen or an alien, a slave man or a free? Yes, there's some slavery in the world, hard to believe. Infirm or in good health, everyone really just wants to be happy. Is that not true? The pursuit of happiness. This is what Psalm 1 is talking about. The truly happy man. But true happiness, not the fleeting pleasure we get from a delicious meal... And I feel very happy after a good meal. Or engaging in one of our favorite pastimes. But rather a deep happiness that comes with purpose. And has contentment, freedom from fear, confidence and hope for today and for tomorrow. That's a true pursuit of happiness. And the psalmist calls this blessedness. This is blessedness. It is describing the truly blessed man. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word is, a, the word is a double plural. And I love to translate this. And I have for many years, oh, the blessednesses of the man. Oh, the double blessednesses of the man. Happy, happy, truly happy is the man. And yet we can find it in Psalm 1. We have put together the collection of the Psalms, and this could quite possibly be Ezra, who was a prophet, a priest, and a scribe by the Holy Spirit in the time of David. Whoever it was, and whoever placed this Psalm first, it is with good reason. It's a preface to the rest because it describes the righteous man who is the one who will be truly and is truly blessed. It's necessary in our devotions that we be righteous before God. 
It is only the prayer of the upright. It is only the prayer of the righteous man, as we read in, learned in James, that is works with power in its working. And as we come to the psalm, let's understand that this blessedness, this true deep happiness is only possible for us if we choose the correct way that leads to it. And that's why the psalm starts with talking about a way. And you need to be on the right way if you truly want Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, true blessedness. We cannot offer good prayers if we do not walk in good ways. And that's why James says, the prayer of a righteous man, the righteous man in Christ. So this first psalm and the first three verses describe the character and the chosen path that the truly blessed man takes. That's what it's talking about. This is a character reference of a godly man. Let's see it. How many godly men are here today? There are many. Those in Christ. But here is a character rest reference for the godly man who has found true lasting happiness and fulfillment in God. I quote, this is a psalm of instruction concerning Good and evil, setting before us life and death, blessing and the curse, that we may take the right way which leads to happiness and avoid that which will certainly end in misery and ruin. Believe it or not, there are just two paths in life. And if you have not chosen the path of true blessedness, you are already on that way that leads to destruction, that broad way that goes down only. So the psalm shows the happy man and begins with the character of the godly man. It is true happiness found that we may take great confidence in this and comfort in this condition or state, this state of the truly Blessed man. So we're going to, as I said, consider this psalm over two or three sermons. And as we consider the first three verses, we have six points for the first three verses. But we're only going to consider four of those today. It's a morning service and it'll be a bit longer than next week is an afternoon. We'll consider the last two. And so we are mainly concerning ourselves with verses one and two and the first four of six points today and I've expressed the points in the positive even though the psalm expresses them in the negative. Number one, let's consider in the first place the truly happy man walks a narrow path. The truly happy man walks a narrow path. And I'm going to improvise a little bit because of what true blessedness means. So I'm going to say, oh, the blessednesses of the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And this is so often the case that we do it ourselves. The psalmist is expressing what we are not to assist us to describe what we really are. You are not a thief, so you must be a 
good, honorable, honorable citizen. Or, or, for example, we may say that somebody doesn't have a selfish bone in his body. Have you heard people say that? He doesn't have a selfish bone in his body. And what we mean is, he's a generous man. So why don't we just say generous man? Because it says more than that. A generous man may at times be selfish, and by expressing it as a negative, we implied there is no selfishness in him at all. He is never selfish. And the psalmist begins with the description of godly man's spirit and his way by which we are to try ourselves. This is what he looks like. He does not do this, is what the psalmist is saying in these verses. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. A truly godly man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now you may say the Lord knows exactly who are his, and he knows them by their name. But how do we know who are his? We know them by their character. And the character of a good man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not walk with the world. He never seeks ungodly counsel, but walks in the way and with the saints, the godly ones. He gets his light and his counsel and his wisdom from godly men, he doesn't confer with the wicked. He doesn't discuss theology and the existence of God with the wicked bodies. He believes it by faith in his heart. He doesn't even get fascinated by the wicked ways of sin, for it is contrary to his new nature for the believer. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So this man conspires with those who walk in the light, not with the wicked. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. What are you doing walking with the wicked? In darkness. That's what the psalmist says. You're a godly man. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not go to the wicked and debate and counsel with them. That's why the Lord, when the Israelites were moving to the promised land, annihilate them. Clear the land. Why? Why? Because otherwise you will learn their ways. And when they didn't clear the land as they ought to, what happened? They married foreign women. What happened? They worshipped foreign idols and foreign gods. The godly man, the truly blessed man, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And the character of a good man is shown by the rules he chooses to, chooses to walk by and take his measures from. How we set out in life's walk and as we make turns and direction in our lives, at every turn we are in the light. God's light is the guide of our conversation in spiritual and natural things. The truly blessed godly man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You say, but we rub shoulders with the world every day, do we not? We work in the world and amongst wicked men. We are in the world, 
but what starts by walking with the wicked, becoming comfortable with the ungodly, leads to seeking counsel from, legal, from wicked men. And we need to note the progression, and you've seen it, I'm sure, the progression of evil in the psalm in these first verses. And this is the reason we must not walk and start the walk in the counsel of the wicked, because it ends with sitting seated in comfort, comfortably with the scoffers and the blasphemers and those who are against God's people and speak against them. And you want to sit among them? And we do sometimes, don't we, in our lives. They are first the wicked, the psalmist said. They've lost their fear of God and live in neglect of their duty to him. Why would we go to the Sabbath? What is wrong with you people? It's time off. It's the weekend. It's where you get your rest. But that's how it starts. Perhaps an innocent friendship, but it does not end there. And Jesus warns us, love not the world nor the things that are in the world. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Matthew Henry says, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He is not present at their counsels. He does not advise with them, they are, though they are ever so witty and subtle and learned. If they are ungodly, they shall not be the men of his counsel. Blessed is the man who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked. And that was said of Joseph of Arimathea, you may remember, at the crucifixion of Jesus. In Luke 23, listen to verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, for he was looking for the kingdom of God. And Joseph was already uncomfortable with the counsel of the wicked. The blessed man does not take his measures his measures from their principles, nor act according to advice which they give and take. The ungodly are quick to give advice against religion, is it not? It's not the first thing the unbeliever says when you invite him to church. They're all hypocrites. That's why I don't go to church, because you're all hypocrites. And sometimes so subtly that we sit there and nod our heads. Among these people, the godly man is uncomfortable. Though he may love them as he's, and as we have been commanded to, though he must pray for them for their salvation, but he cannot walk in their way or follow their uh, counsel, their ungodly counsel. The Apostle John, of course, has a lot to say about this in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. The truly happy man walks a narrow path. And it is a different path, which is the way of the wicked. And the reason being, the counsel of the wicked progresses. It is a downward spiral of wickedness. The world and the flesh and the devil, it is an ensnaring path. And this brings us to our second brings us to consider the second place. Number two, the truly happy man is only comfortable among the saints. The 
truly happy man is only comfortable among the saints. And I'm, I'm very uncomfortable here because the mat is to the right and I feel I kind of fall off. I'm just going to pull it straight. <laughs> now we're more comfortable. So the truly happy man, secondly, is only comfortable among the saints. And I improvise again. Oh, the blessednesses of the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. He was on the path, the counsel of the wicked, and he's progressed. Walk with me. Walk with me. Now stand with me and talk with me. This is basically what he's saying. When you walk with a man, you inevitably stand with the man. You're walking home of the man in your direction. What happens when it's time to pass? You stand. and You put your hand in your pocket and you talk to the man. When I was a boy, I, I used to love Batman and Robin comics. Most of you probably haven't even heard about Batman and Robin. Well, you should have. There's actually movies, I think. I've not seen them. But when I was a boy, I used to say, any friend of Batman is a friend of mine. I used to love the Batman and Robin. I still love the Robin, but not the Batman. <laughs> and the point is that when you counsel and you become friends with the world, you become friends with his friends who are in the world and you're standing in the council of the wicked and now you're standing after being in the path of the wicked. Now you stand a little more comfortable. The godly man, that he may avoid evil, utterly renounces companionship and friendship of evildoers and will not be led by them. That's what the psalmist is saying. They are not among my friends. They are not among my consultants. They are not among my people. And I will not form a friendship with evildoers or be led by them. He does not walk in the council of the wicked and he will not stand in the way of the sinner. Even though we rub shoulders with him every day. The psalmist in Psalm 119 felt this way. He said, depart from me, depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Wise words, because counsel with the wicked will soften and lessen your obedience to the commands of God. He sees evildoers round about him. The world is full of them. They walk on every side. And the psalmist describes them by these three progressions of evil, wicked counsel in our first point, and then here as sinful men, and finally as scorners of God and godliness, scoffers in our final point. Those engrossed in the counsel of the wicked come to be sinners. That is, they broke, break out into open rebellion against God and engage in the service of sin and Satan. Don't we tell our children from an early age, I do not want you to be friends with that child. You do that, I hope you do that sometimes. I do not want us to be friends with that family. 1 Corinthians 15.33 quotes and says, Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. And yet, we may at times walk in the council of the wicked, in the workplace, amongst some friends, perhaps, out of curiosity, casual acquaintances. And before long, if we're not careful, when we fall into the snares of the ungodly, 
by our own sinful passions and the snares of the devil. And here is the warning from the psalmist to us. Christian, beware of becoming friends with the wicked and comfortable with the company of sinners who love the world and neglect their duty to God. This is a snare that the devil will constantly use. Satan and the world constantly question God and his law. It started in the garden. Did God really say? Is the Sabbath day really necessary? How important is morality? Is homosexuality actually sin? And we can go on and on. Omissions make way for commissions and the neglect of your Christian duties and godly disciplines. The Lord's day and the means of grace, the absence and the omission of these will harden your heart. Before long you'll find yourself with the scoffers and that is how backsliding and walking from the Lord starts. Those who decry religion and all that is sacred and who make light of sin and you become more and more comfortable with these if we are not careful. Brothers and sisters, this may be in many forms and some of you may be sitting here and saying, that's not me, that's not me. I don't go out drinking with the boys, I don't enjoy, I don't engage in their cussing and their, their criticisms of religion, Christianity and God and morality but brothers and sisters, let me warn you that the counsel of the wicked, the standing in the path of sinners comes in many forms. You may not engage in the wicked. You may not have any friends that are drug addicts and murderers and fornicators. You'll stand with a sinner. But I ask you today, does your heart sometimes follow their ways? Do you fill your leisure hours with the ungodly viewing that is condemned in the scripture. Oh, but I don't stand in the counsel of the wicked. But I absorb myself disgusting television shows on my computer when I'm alone. Unsavory reading. These will just stir the passions of your flesh and of your mind and set you on the wrong course. Brothers and sisters, it is the downward path to sinners. One sinner tempts the other to sin, especially the children of God. It seems that the world take great delight in causing this, the saint of God to stumble and he would plead with him. And that is why Jesus says, if you cause the least of the little ones of these to sin, it's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck, dropped into the deepest sea. Consider Romans 12, 2, which warns and counsels and commands the unbeliever. What does it say? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't start thinking like this world in morality and questions of philosophy and whatever it may be. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by testing that you may discern what the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's where we find our counsel. The Christian has a different set of standards and is found on a different path. 
a very narrow path. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He avoids doing as they do. Their way will not be his way. We walk this way. He will not come into it. Much less will he continue in it as the sinner does who sets himself in a way that is a path to destruction. The godly man, the truly blessed man, the happy man, avoids as much as he can where the wicked are so that he may not imitate them. He will not associate with them or choose his friends from them. He does not stand in their way or enter in their path. As Proverbs says to us in 4, chapter 4 and verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. It's a path and you can't control where it's heading. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on to it. Turn away from it and pass on. He that would be kept from harm must stay out of harm's way. Don't play in the street. Don't play in the street because eventually you'll get knocked down. A truly happy man is only comfortable and must only be and will always only be comfortable among the saints. And there we are to shine like stars. And there, with the saints, we are to be light and salt in the world. And you know what? They will avoid you then. They will avoid you. The wicked and the sinner will avoid you. He will get embarrassed to be with you because we are to shine like light, the star, like stars in the sky. We are to be salt and light in this world. They will avoid us or they will be drawn to Christ through our witness. That is, that is the sum total of our association with the wicked is to be a light to and a witness to him. The walk of faith and the witness to the light. And this leads us to the third point, in the third place, number three. The truly happy man takes his seat among the righteous. The truly happy man takes his seat among the righteous. Now improvise again. Oh, the blessednesses of the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. This is the third progression of evil and the wicked, which the righteous man will shun. A godly character will never allow him to be comfortable with those who are scoffers of God and his word. He does not go there. He sits with the saints. He always chooses God's people. That's why we are here today. And this family of God here today I hate to say it, but it's more important than your earthly family, lest they too are children of God, his spiritual, true family. I quote, he sits not in the seat of the scornful. He does not repose himself with them that sit down secure in their wickedness and please, and please themselves with their seared conscience, consciences. The scriptures teach us that drunkards Drunkenness is the seat of the scornful. In Psalm 62, verse 1, I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make a song about me. The psalmist says, no, happy 
happy, double blessed is the man who never sits in it. On the day of our king, says Hosea chapter 7 and verse 5, the princes became sick with the heat of the wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers and scoffers are those who set their mouths against heaven. And we've heard them in the workplace and in the neighbors, in the marketplace, wherever these the good man sees with a sad heart, with a sad heart. They perplex his righteous soul in Christ because that is the only righteousness that we truly have, that which we have in Christ. But he shuns them wherever he sees them. He does not do as they do. They're on a different path. They walk in darkness. To sit among them is to sell your soul as Judas did uh, when he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He sat with the wicked and the scoffers. And he sold his soul for 21 pieces of silver. Love for the world and the evil in the world is directly opposed to the light. And John's epistles again warn us of this association with the world. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away uh, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. These three then are the things that the blessed man, the truly happy man, is not. And he shuns and he avoids. They are against his new nature in Christ. He shuns and avoids him. The path of the wicked or the standing with the sinner and he will never sit in the seat and company of those who scoff God and his people. He takes his seat among the righteous. Happy, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Psalmist says in Psalm 84, for day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Well, we've seen and shown in these first two verses really what the truly happy and blessed man is not. And in our remaining points, we'll consider the virtues of the righteous man and what does, in fact, positively characterize the godly man. And we're going to just look at the first of those points. Uh, where is the blessed and the true man's delight then? If that is what he shuns, if that is what he is not, if that is what he doesn't do, where is his delight? Wherein is his happiness? And then, Lord willing, next week we'll look at points five and six, which is the fruit and the destiny of the truly happy man. So point number four really will close us out well today as we consider what then, where then is his happiness, his blessedness. Number four, truly happy man's delight is in the logos of God. Truly happy man's delight is in the logos, which means word, of God. Once again, oh, the blessednesses, says our text, of the man 
whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And the law of the Lord in the Old Testament most often does not only refer to the Ten Commandments or the moral law, but of the whole of the revelation of God in the Scriptures. The word of the Lord came. Behold, the law of the Lord, the words of God came to his people. The laws and statutes and the commands he's given to his people, particularly as found in the Pentateuch and the five books of Moses. But all the wisdom literature and the prophets and the kings and the judges and all of scripture is the word of the Lord and is often referred to as the law of the Lord. Which yes does specifically refer to the ten commandments or the five books of Moses. But the point is this, the godly man's delight, his first love is the law of of God in this whole sense and including the law, the Ten Commandments. And this because this is how he may please God in obedience to his law. And the Apostle John explains this with an example. Obedience to the law, a loving obedience that delights in the law, is proof of your love for God. That's what it is. That's why we can delight in God's law. Listen to it. John 4 and verse 9. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, and what does the law say? The law says you must love your neighbor as yourself. So listen again. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he's seen. He cannot possibly love God whom he has not seen. And 1 John 5 and verse 2. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Christians, we're in the new covenant. Not only do we love God and delight ourselves in his law, but our love for God is shown in this, that we love and delight ourselves in the whole word of God, the Logos. Word of God, supremely revealed in these last days where in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Old Testament believer believed by faith, we have seen and we have touched and we believed on the Logos of God because He became incarnate. The Word of the Lord came. The law of the Lord was there. The prophets... The, the prophetic literature, all of these, the wisdom literature. But in these last days, the Logos, he has spoken to us in his Son. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit reveals this nowhere as gloriously as he does in the first chapter of John. Is that not true? In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. He who was 
from the very beginning, from all eternity. And this is whom we delight in and love with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christ, the living word, the logos of God. Why? Because we read in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is to this, the whole law of God, to this law and towards this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the believer delights in. And quite frankly, we cannot delight in the law of God as in the Ten Commandments without Christ, because without him, they condemn us, don't they? But he has fulfilled them perfectly in our place. A godly man therefore desires to do that which is good in accordance with the whole law of God and the commandments of Christ. And he cleaves to it and he submits to the guidance of the word of God. He not only delights in it, but he makes the law familiar to himself as our text states. It's not just, oh, I love the scriptures. Oh, I love John 3, 6. I love all the scriptures. I love God. No, he doesn't just delight into him, but the text states, and on his law he meditates day and night. I'm going to take it into my being. This is the precious law. This is the word of God. I'm going to delight myself in it. I'm going to meditate in it day and night. It is this love for the law, this love for Christ, this love for God, that which keeps him out of the way of the ungodly and fortifies him and strengthens him against their temptations. What was Paul's first and primary advice to the young Timothy, the young pastor Timothy? It was this. Acquaint yourself with that which you love. That's what he basically said. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. The truly godly man takes his delight in the law of God and the Ten Commandments and the word of God, the whole law, and in the logos of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God to us. We need not court the fellowship of sinners, either for pleasure or improvement, while we have fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. To delight in the law of God is to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word, for Christ has kept and fulfilled the whole law of God perfectly for those who love Him and trust Him. And to put their faith in him. The law of God is our delight. When we walk, it leads. When we lie down, it watches over us. And when we awake, he is still with us. The Lord Jesus Christ, the living word of God. Brothers and sisters, this is what the psalmist says. This is how... You judge your spiritual state this morning by asking, what is the law of God to us? What is the law of God to you? What importance do we attach to it? What place does God's whole counsel and the commands of Christ occupy in my life and in my affections? 
That's the question that we must ask when we look at the character of the godly man, of the truly happy man. The entire affection of a blessed man is for the law of God. He delights in it. He delights in it even though it is a law. It is a yoke, but because it is the law of God, which is holy and good and just, which he freely consents in and so delights in it are in his inner man, as Romans says in, in chapter 7, verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. And in verse 16, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I can delight on it. Because this is the path I'm on. This path is a path of obedience. Well, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I worship Him. I love Christ. I love the commands of Christ. And I love my neighbor just as I love myself. And I delight myself in that. Therein is the true pursuit of happiness for the believer. The only path to true, lasting, and eternal happiness is that path of delight in Christ, in the Word of God. That is why the psalmist opens with a correct path to blessedness. It's not the path of the wicked. It's not the way of the sinner or the seed of the scoffer. It's the other way. It's the other way. And my friends, if you're visiting here today, or if you've heard the gospel many times, and you've rejected it and rejected it, you're hearing it again today because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the only other path. If you've not chosen that path, you are on the wrong path. And not only will you die, but you will perish eternally in your sin. Which path have you chosen? Which road are you on? You're here today. Choose this day. Whom you will serve. Ah, I'm not making a decision today. You've chosen. You've chosen the path that leads to death. And perhaps today is the last time you hear the gospel. Which path will you choose? Your lusts and sinful pleasures, which leads to eternal death, or the Lord Jesus Christ, who leads to a blessed eternal life? Matthew 7, verse 13, 14, Christ said, Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide, and the way is easy. It leads to destruction. You don't even need to make a decision. Just carry on doing what you do. Sinful pleasures, lust, whatever you want to do. Eat, drink, and die. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That road leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Will you find that today? If you call on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will hear you. If you come in repentance and faith, he will never turn you away. Know that it's not just a delight in, but an intimate acquaintance which a man keeps of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, make the word of Christ your delight. Stay on that narrow path. The obedience for Christ. Love for Christ. Love for God and love for his law. 
for what this is what we love. This is what we love to think of and fill our minds with. So the psalmist can say, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Is that you today? Challenge your heart. This presents to us the character of the godly. And I close with a long quote, but listen carefully. To meditate in God's word is to discourse with ourselves concerning the great things contained in it with a close application of mind, a fixedness of thought till we will be suitably affected with those things and experience the savor and the power of them in our hearts. You have to work at this. Make his law your meditation because you love it. This we must do day and night. We must have a constant habitual regard to the word of God as the rule of our actions and the spring of our comforts. And we must have in it our thoughts accordingly upon every occasion that occurs, whether day or night. No time is amiss for meditating on the word of God, nor is any time unseasonable for those visits. We must not only set ourselves to meditate on God's word morning and evening, at the entrance of the day and at the night, but these thoughts should be interwoven in the business and the converse of every day and with the repose of slumbers every night. When I awake, I am still with thee. Encourage your hearts with these things and these thoughts character of the godly. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you and acknowledge that we do not love you as we ought. And we pray, help us to love you more. By your Spirit, help us to love your precious word more, to delight in your commands. For the obedience of your commands is the proof of our love for you. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, sanctify us by your spirit and by your truth. Lord, make us to be godly men that shine like stars in the universe, that we may point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they may desire what we have, that love for God, the forgiveness of sins, and an absolute delight in his law and in his word and in our Savior, the living word. Lord, help those who call upon your name this day who have not come to you. Give them repentance and faith in their hearts and help them by, their, by your spirit to believe in you to life everlasting. We pray these things with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen.